This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. Even though I had done stand-up before, you were the first person to ask me to start doing it consistently. This was almost a year and a half ago now, and I got obsessed with it after that. But stand-up comedy is by far, by far, the hardest skill I've ever had to learn. Learning stand-up comedy has helped me in so many other areas of my life that it was worth it. Did you always want to do stand-up? Yeah, I've always loved stand-up. I was really into it. I've always been really into it. But you never thought you would be going on stage. I wanted to, but I was too terrified to. I was barely brave enough to do public speaking. So if I was barely brave enough to do public speaking, I was 10 times as terrified to do stand-up. So, okay, we've got Donnie Zoldan on the show. Uh, Donnie, how's it going? Good. So Donnie, many people might not know him, but... Yet, they will yeah, after, after this. After this podcast, they will. He owns Stand Up New York, the comedy club in New York City that now I'm a co-owner of. And you, even though I had done stand-up before, you were the first person to ask me to start doing it consistently. This was almost a year and a half ago now. And I got like obsessed with it after that. I started doing up to up to six times a week. I don't even know if you know how many times I've been doing it. And, and without a break, like I haven't taken a one week break. But, from- but you, you did take the time to, you know, when I, when I told you you should get up on stage, I remember you, you took time a month or two yeah, to, I to was write scared. down material, right? Yeah, yeah, I was scared. I had done it a year earlier with Stephen Dubner, who wrote, you, you've met him, he wrote Freakonomics. We rented out uh, the Bell House in Brooklyn and invited the guests of our other podcast to, um, to, to come and it was a full house and it was fun, but that was a year before you and I had met mm. and I figured, okay, I did it at that one time and it was great, but there's a lot, there's a huge difference between doing it that one time and like really doing it. It's like three to six times a week on a lineup of all professional comedians. Like when I go up here, everybody else has been doing it for 10 to 20 years. They mm-hmm. all do regular shows. They all go touring. They all go on like Colbert and Conan and all the other late night shows or some of them have shows themselves. So it's really intimidating. It's a scary experience. And I would say every month I probably, and I'm not tooting my horn because sometimes I get worse. It's always volatile to learn something. But I would say every month I, I at least 100% change, hopefully for the better. But Mm-hmm. Now I feel pretty pretty consistent after a year and a half. So we we have our regular roster of comics that go up night after night. Who are some comics that are that you're intimidated by that perform here? Well, it's that's a very good question because some comics just do their material. The crowd laughs. They get off the stage. Some comics, like let's take Aaron Berg, who's been on this podcast, or Judah Friedlander, who hasn't but people know him from 30 Rock and he's got a really good special on Netflix. Uh, these guys heavily, heavily interact with the audience. They will mm-hmm. interact with every single person in the audience. And Aaron Berg not only interacts with them, he insults every person in the audience. So when he comes off the stage, the audience energy is so revved up and even a little anxious that you can't just go up on stage and do material 
because then it feels strange to them. They're used mm -hmm. to, at that point, they're used to kind of being attacked or interacting or talking to the comedian. So if you just go up and do material, they, they recognize it as material. You're, mm -hmm. you're supposed to go up. I, I mean, all of these things I are, I, le I learned from hard hard earned experience mm -hmm. in the past year and a half, two years. Like I, the first time I went up after Aaron Berg, I just did my material and it didn't come across as well. And the reason is, is that you're supposed to go up and make everything look effortless. Like mm -hmm. you're just going up mm -hmm. and like, it's as if you make it up on the fly and you're interacting with the audience and you're doing, telling your jokes and telling stories. And the audience is not supposed to realize, oh, you've done this a hundred times before. Right, these, some right. of these jokes, even Aaron Berg, when he's done that act probably a thousand times. Yeah, Aaron Berg, he, he, they don't realize it. They think it's like magic because he's interacting with them, but he's doing the same interactions with every... I shouldn't say that. He he varies it mm -hmm. up and he's very good at kind of seeing everybody in the crowd and, and what they're up to. He's, he's got a particular talent. But to go straight up after him, you have to address the fact that you're going up after him. Mm -hmm. You have to warn the audience. I'll basically say something like, raise your hand if Aaron just insulted you. Mm -hmm. or, or I'll say, or sometimes it's not good to ask questions because then they're still a little shy. I'll make a statement just like he would. He'll be like, you definitely were insulted by Aaron. Mm -hmm. and Or I'll try to be slightly aggressive, but you can't try to emulate them because Aaron has an extra 10 years insulting mm -hmm. the audience than I do. Or Judah has an extra... One time I went up, right after Judah, and it was almost like a math equation. Like he had locked up that audience mm -hmm. so hard because of his interactions. There was nothing I could do because I couldn't interact with them. I couldn't address him interacting with them, but that was my mistake. I should have, that was early on. And I couldn't do my material because they were used to interacting. So you have to pay attention to the energy of the, the comic before you. So it's hard to go up after Godfrey as well, who's also been on this podcast because he's so aggressive. Uh, and he's, you know, and he's, He's very funny, obviously, and uh, I don't know. I find him hard to go up afterwards as well. It's amazing that these guys like need to be on like ninety nine point nine percent of the time. You know, like there are days where I wake up and like I know I'm not going to be on that day, and I'm just like talking to like my, my wife and kids or like colleagues. You know, I'm not going up, you know, in front of a hundred people right. or a thousand people. So imagine, you know, if you're at that level and you need to be on ninety nine point nine percent of the time or hundred percent of the time in front of an audience. I don't get that. Like, what if they're sick? Like, what if they're just like mentally not feeling right? How do they go on and kill in front of an audience? I think it's just practice and experience. Like, they're just used to doing it. They just know how to turn themselves on. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can say that's true. Well, I think this is going to segue into what we wanted to talk about, which is even in this year and a half to two years, the skills, two things I want to say. Stand-up comedy is probably the hardest skill I've ever had to learn um, for many reasons, which I'll describe in a second. I've learned lots of skills at like a very good level, like whether it's skills in investing or business or skills in games like chess or poker. I've reached high levels in, in tournament level. But stand-up comedy is by far, by far the hardest skill I've ever had to learn. Second, learning stand-up comedy has helped me in so many other areas of my life that it was worth it. Now, some people say, oh, you got to do, put in your 10,000 hours, you got to put in your 20 years, 10 years. I don't believe that at all uh, for many reasons, which also we could discuss. But uh, just, to, I would say probably around the year point, I learned what I needed to learn to basically have it, stand-up comedy, apply to all these other areas of my life, probably for the rest of my life. Like it, it enhanced these, these other areas incredibly. 
And it's just been such a great, a great experience. How so? Can you give me an example? Yeah, the most obvious example is so for 20 years, I've been a, a very good public speaker. You know, I started off shy and terrified every time I had to do public speaking. And usually I'm still a little nervous every time I have to do public speaking. But um, I definitely started off nervous, awkward, relying on PowerPoints. Um, and then I got good. I got, you know, after years, I got very good at public speaking where essentially it was almost like people would come up to me afterwards and say, oh, you should be a stand-up comedian um, because I would make the audience laugh and usually they weren't expecting that. And I was very good at kind of feeling out the audience and understanding them. So I thought I was good at public speaking, even from a comedian point of view. But after doing stand-up comedy for as long as I've been doing it, which again, is not long enough to say, hey, I'm the best stand-up comedian, but it's you know long enough to say I've been learning the, the skill at a level I want to. My public speaking, I would say, is about 10 times better. Like I could just, I feel like, I could go into an audience and there's various comedy skills, uh, specifically stand-up comedy skills, which is distinct from comedy, but there's various stand-up skills now that I feel, it's almost like this muscle kicks in and I feel I'm using them in, in public speaking, like, um, you know, like reading the audience, who in the audience is not responding to me, who in the audience is, what are they responding to? Uh, you know, knowing when to make statements to different people in the audience or questions or not do audience work, knowing how to move around the stage or even in the audience, uh, knowing how, you know, my timing is much better with an audience, you know, with public speaking, it's so easy to step on your own laughs, as they say, like to, to keep on talking while people are laughing. Um, so timing is much better. Uh, my, I am, I am, you can base, I feel like now I can go in front of any audience, no matter how this, much the size and, not prepare at all and just rip it up. And also just the humor. I've, I fall back on, you know, now I've done, I've, I've switched my act in stand-up comedy like 20 or 30 times. So I have so much material. I can always fall back on that or mix it up with my public speaking. So even though I was getting people to laugh before, now I get people to laugh probably 10 times as much. And they always enjoy laughing. So it's good. Like I'll fall back on my, traditional stand-up jokes. Did you did you always want to do stand-up or Yeah, I've always loved stand-up. I mean, I don't know um if you were a little different in age, but I know when you were younger you were you were hanging out with our other co-owner of mm -hmm. Stand-up New York Gabe who was trying to be a a stand-up comedian and you would hit all the clubs. So in 1990 1995 through 98, I was always going to the Luna Lounge on Ludlow Street. I don't know if you ever went there. Mark Marin was hosting. No. Um I would go to the Aspen Comedy Festival every year. So I would go to comedy clubs mm -hmm. and uh, uh, I was really into it. I've always been really into it. I've but you never, at, in, the, in 95, you never thought like you would be going on stage. Like you love comedy. You know, I wanted to, but I was, I was too terrified to. Like I was barely brave enough to do public speaking. And again, I would say there's a 10 to 1 ratio between public speaking and stand-up. So if I was barely brave enough to do public speaking, I was 10 times as terrified to do stand-up. And here's the thing, I would write a lot about stand-up because I was such a big fan, but actually doing something, actually doing it over and over again for you know years on end now uh, uh, is 
I can write about it so much better. Like, I'll give you, I'll give you a, a, an example. Uh, there's a great comedian. He's, I think he's the best comedian in the world, Dave Chappelle. I didn't really like him two years ago before I started doing stand-up every day. And now I think he's the best in the world because now I can, having done it so many times, uh, and and for, you know, for, when you do, let's say a 15 minute or 20 minute set, and I've done up to 45 minute sets in front of, let's say a thousand person audience now, uh, when you when, and when you do a, even a 15 minute set, I have to prepare for like three or four hours. So there's preparation and then doing it and then analyzing it. And so now I see all the nuances in someone like Dave Chappelle's comedy and he's, he's like the most amazing comedian out there by far. And then, you know, Louis C.K. and the usual crew. Do you, do you record your set now? I, I do sometimes. I would say like half the time. And you listen to it after? Yeah, okay. yeah. And that's really important. So uh, because it, it was interesting. In the very beginning when I was doing stand-up, I would use the exact same jokes in the same timing and everything. And sometimes I would bomb like dead silence. And other times the crowd would be laughing hysterically, like belly mm -hmm. laughs. And I would try to understand what's the difference between these two times. And it's really interesting to see. You can only learn that from watching the video. And it's really interesting to see what was the differences. And that's where you start to learn there's actual nuances. It's not about the jokes. Anybody can write, no, I shouldn't say anybody can, but joke writing and being funny is not even the most important skill in stand-up. Like if you just want to laugh, I always tell people watch cat videos on YouTube. Mm -hmm. That's way funnier than any stand-up comic. But there, there's other skills too, like involving the crowd, involving your confidence and how you're expressing your confidence, your ability to tell a story, your ability to act in different voices, your ability to physically express yourself. So, you know, well, they say only 10% of communication is verbal. So that means you have to use your whole body in a stand-up act to get people to to viscerally mm -hmm. laugh. And, you know, it also helps to have people in the audience already who like you. Because if you're saying like, for instance, a particularly dirty joke helps to have someone there who starts off laughing because they know you. Otherwise the audience starts to wonder, is this guy creepy or not? But if somebody's laughing, it signals to the rest of the audience, oh no, this guy's okay. Do you, do you get a similar high after you get off stage on comedy as as to when you're just public speaking? Is it similar? Much greater with comedy. Yeah, and you get a horrible low with bombing. You really mm -hmm. shouldn't get either. It's like, again, it's like playing a game of chess or playing a game of tennis or something like that. You play, you do your best, mm -hmm. you should get off and analyze and whatever. It shouldn't The highs and lows shouldn't affect you. Most comics, but, I think it affects. Right? Yeah, you can't help it. Like if... And I've actually seen on the stage downstairs, mm -hmm. um, and I've been upset at them, uh, stand-up comics, there'd be maybe t a smaller audience some night, like Sunday night at 10 p.m., mm -hmm. and I would see like a famous comic, no one would laugh, and he would scream at mm -hmm. somebody in the audience. I'm like, that's really inappropriate. Like right. Most people just don't laugh ever. Even if they think you're funny, if the audience is not laughing, they might be laughing inside, they might be smiling or laugh, enjoying your act anyway. Don't yell at the audience if mm -hmm. you're a professional but professionals take it seriously yeah i mean i've seen plenty of comics you know put their fist through the wall or yeah, one of our or, favorites. or yell yell at an audience member yeah um yeah I've, I've seen it all in 10 years that i've been here yeah i think um yeah i've seen i've seen yelling at an audience member quite a bit i've never i never do that i, I always with everything i do whether it's investing or public speaking or writing 
or running a business, I always blame myself. I've, yeah. I've heard comics, I've heard one comic, like when he was done with his act, like he was walking on stage and like the mic picked up, like this audience sucks, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I've seen that a couple of times. Yeah. I, that's actually a common thing in the bar afterwards. Yeah, like, no, but I, like as he was like walking off the stage, like the whole audience heard. He was like, all right, my name is, you know, and this audience sucks. <laughs> that's funny. Well, no, I've seen I've seen people right at the end, you know, you've been a, a, a great audience. I'm kidding. This guy effing sucked mm-hmm. right here. And like nobody did anything. Like it was just right. a nice guy he's yelling at. And I thought it was really inappropriate. But, you know, c- comics are a weird crew. You know, another thing I learned that was really important, and I wanna I wanna get to the specific things I learned and the specific things that helped other than public speaking. But one thing I learned that was very important, and we've discussed this a little on the podcast before, is that you don't have to put in your ten thousand hours. I can borrow, like I've borrowed 10,000 hours from other things I've learned. Like I've been Mm -hmm. a humorous writer for 20 years. I've been a public speaker for at least 18 years. So I've been able to borrow from the the hours I put into these other skills. And apply it to learning stand-up. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. and you know know who several comedians suggested that to me? Like uh, Tony Rock, for instance, Mm -hmm. Chris Rock's brother suggested that to me. Like borrow as much as you can from other, uh, you know, other skills that you've really mastered. And that helps. So, so it might mean I'm not going to be the kind of, um, you know, insult comic or punchline setup, you know, setup punchline comic like Aaron Berg. But I'll be more. I think one of the reasons I, I like Dave Chappelle so much is that he's a storyteller, which is more like public speaking, and he he's using stand up skills combined with storytelling. Mm-hmm. So I'm a storyteller with writing and with public speaking. I'm able to borrow that and then watch, you know, a thousand hours of someone like. Dave Chappelle, like his last four specials, I've probably watched fifty times mm-hmm. each, and uh, uh, you you borrow that and you bring that experience into to add to the ten thousand hours of learning in in stand up. So even let's say I've put now two thousand hours or three thousand hours into stand up, I can borrow a few thousand hours from these other mm-hmm. skills. And so I think, I don't know, I just I feel very good with where I'm at. Like I'm not trying to be a professional comedian, but I feel like I've learned. I've I've gotten past the very steep part of the curve, and so now to be like great, great, I'd have to spend years on the flatter part of the curve, which I'm not as interested in. But I I do feel what I've learned has helped me in, you know, and I jotted down some down some notes. Public speaking, without a doubt, going on TV or talking to reporters, it's helped me in a huge way. Like you wouldn't think it would help. You wouldn't think stand-up would help to going on TV because it's not like you have this big audience in front of mm-hmm. you. you. You do in an imaginary way, but you don't see the big audience. But actually, the 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 anchors on the television show are your audience. And suddenly you realize, oh, I can do crowd work here and audience work with just the other panelists and the anchors on a news show, for instance. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it works. I feel that muscle click in. I, I mean, I, I think... Having a good sense of humor and humor in general, not even if you don't do stand up, just having a good sense of humor can help in a ton of areas in business. You know, when 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 I ran my telecom business, you know, my my team would send me to these conferences all around the world, and like I didn't know even the day to day how to like run, you know, this business. But you know, I would I would go into these conferences and just. Make jokes with these people, you know, at meetings, just have a good time with them, have a good sense of humor with them, and I would walk away with like a contract. Yeah, because they're not expecting someone to make them laugh. No, yeah. And like I was so different where I approached these 
meetings at these conferences, very like just chill and laid back, and like not talking about business, just like getting to know each other one on one and having that connection. And I would walk away with a contract with like Vonage because yeah. of that, and like they didn't even know it was it was a. Uh, we would wholesale long distance minutes, and like usually, I would go to these. You're supposed to go to these conferences with like rates of like what I can sell you each country for. Where I didn't even know what the rates were, I would just entertain them and walk away with contracts. Yeah, because ultimately, people want to know that the person they're doing business with, they feel good around. And you know, it's so hard in general to make people laugh that if mm-hmm. you can do it, it works. And so I will say, you probably had a good sense of humor, you know, back when you were a kid or whatever, but. You've uh, owned this place for ten years now, mm-hmm. and just the experience of being around—and you're not a stand-up comic, but just the experience of being around so many stand-up comics and hearing their jokes—like that is going to add to your sense of humor. You can't help it, and seeing their timing, you you learn just totally. by watching. But it, but also makes other audience very boring. You know, like when I when I when I go with my family to dinner at someone's house, or we go to synagogue. Uh, like nothing's like entertaining to me anymore. You know, I'm like yeah. I'm like sitting at like a dinner table with like five other couples and kids. It's very hard to make me laugh. You know, oh, people think they're funny, but like I know what funny is. I'm here, you know, every single day. I'm around the funniest people in the world. So it puts other situations that I'm in kind of boring. It, do you find do you find that as well? Yeah, totally. Like I remember I went to And people think I'm rude. Like I was at the park yesterday and like someone I know like cracked a joke and like I just like stared at him. <laughs> like don't try to be funny in front of me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's funny because one time I went with a friend to a church and all I kept thinking in my head was while watching the minister or whatever, mm-hmm. uh I was like, man, I should talk to him afterwards because he could have totally yep. used this tagline, you know, here in this talk. He totally could have used this joke over mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm constantly analyzing how he could have spoke better or been funnier or whatever. It's funny because, I mean, just from my business knowledge, also, we had we had a speaker come in two weeks ago at our synagogue, and he was raising money for his charity organization. And he spoke for like twenty minutes, and then he got off. And I said to the guy sitting next to me, my friend, like there was no like call to action, <laughs> you know, at the end of the speech. Like, do we go to a website, you know, where we can learn more about the charity organization? So, well, that's interesting too, because you would say to yourself, like now what, what? What does a call to action have to do with humor? And the reality is, the a punchline is a call to action. Mm-hmm. It's telling people to laugh. But this guy led. You know, a big charity organization, and he spoke for twenty minutes pitching his company, pitching his charity, and then yeah, I turned over to my friend like, like, what do we like? How do we follow up? Yeah, like he didn't give us a website, he didn't give us an email address, and and that's the thing. Like, stand-up comedy again is not just about the humor; it's about you have to go in there very aware of what you're trying to get the crowd to do every single moment. Mm-hmm. Like, and if the crowd doesn't do what you want them to do, you have to figure it out on the fly in microseconds. And then do things differently. So, I remember there was just my last time up. I was saying some very I, I don't do like, uh, you know, you remember when I first started, I was doing like extremely dirty or what's mm-hmm. called blue material. I don't do Offen- that at all. Offensive material. Yeah, extremely <laughs> offensive material. But that would get that would sometimes bomb because the audience would have to be right for that. Like you can't, uh, as one friend of mine says it says that you can't sell sushi to people who want mm-hmm. barbecue. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, uh, it was also a kids' show, by the way. <laughs> no, no. 
<laughs> no, but one, I think it was Marianne Grodin said, uh, he's also available for bar mitzvahs. Yeah. And, but like, <laughs> but I do some stuff that's definitely um, edgy, uh, like where I'm making fun of my kids and stuff. And there was one point, you know, I don't mind laughter and I don't mind groans. Sometimes groans are just as good as laughter because mm -hmm. it gives you energy that you could work with. So I said some stuff that's particularly edgy and it's like one side laughed and the other side I heard some groaning. But then you could, but then you have to. I didn't realize I was so loud. Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think you were in the audience for that one. Yeah. So I should have so, kept it down. <laughs> but, but, uh, uh, I was able to make a joke out of it. Like, and, and, and that's how you build, you have to learn, you have to understand this other skill in comedy, which is building a tribe among the audience. So I'm able to separate out, okay, this, I've addressed it. This side laughed. And this side, there was some groaning. I get it. I would groan too. I love my kids, but don't worry, I'm going to win you back. And then people started laughing because when they're groaning, there's some tension. And if you help them release that tension, it'll turn into laughter. And it, it means they're listening. Yeah. You know, which is a good thing. Has that has anyone ever walked out on your set? Oh yeah. Yeah. There was one guy, this was a crazy one. I've talked about it on the podcast, but there was one guy who um didn't like the fact that I was making fun of I wasn't even making fun of it. He just I think he was just angry in advance. Mm -hmm. Uh but he he didn't like me talking about ADD and Adderall. And he got offended by Yeah, he ADD. said, I can't believe you're talking about a disease. <laughs> and, you know, it's always a challenge to figure out how to handle people who hate you. And so I said, listen, sir, I'm sorry you got diagnosed with a fake disease. Mm -hmm. But, and then I would just continue with the act. And he was so upset. He got up. He went to each person laughing and said, I can't believe you're laughing. This was downstairs? Yeah. And then he went outside. Then he went back in. And afterwards, uh, he started yelling. And half the audience was yelling back at him, like, dude, it's a comedy show. And so the audience was on your side. Yeah. And I actually think it's good. So I even said, hey, let's all get into a fist fight. Mm -hmm. Because I figured, again, the audience is not there to just laugh, they're there to have an experience. So I want the experience to be as interesting as possible. It doesn't matter to me whether, they're, again, whether they're laughing or whether it's just an interesting experience. Well, I, I remember one of the first times you went on stage. Uh, there was a heckler, and then it carried it carried over into the bar, and there was like a yelling match oh, right, between yeah, yeah. you and an audience member. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but that was just funny because she she was what like was she, I don't remember what was she offended about. Um, she, again, oh, I think I was she thinking, was I think she was drinking. She was dead drunk, and yeah. by the way, she had ruined. I think you the, called her out. That she, she had she was ruined talking. the act of every comedian before yeah. me. She had heckled on every single act, and then with mine. I was prepared for her because everyone in Hick was coming out saying, "Boy, you know they should, they should throw that girl out." Yeah. And um, and then she did leave for a while, but then went back in for my act. And I w was again making fun of my children, and she was like, "How can you say that about your daughter?" <laughs> and I made a joke, and I could tell the audience was already on my side because she had been doing this all night. And I made fun of her, and then outside in the bar, she came up to me really drunk so i said to her friend i'm sorry i can't can you i can't don't speak her language can you translate mm -hmm. please and explain to me what she said and here's what i'm saying and, and so that was funny in the bar and you're dating her for how long now <laughs> <laughs> that was funny thank you thank you <laughs> that was good uh no i'm not dating her just to set the record straight um you're, you're engaged <laughs> yeah so now i'm engaged uh uh but 
yeah, you have to figure out how to deal with hecklers. That's that's a hard thing too because, you know, let's say there's 50 people in the audience, 49 people might be enjoying it and they've paid tickets for it. One person is ruining it because a heckler does ruin it for everybody. Mm -hmm. But you still have to figure out how to turn it into an experience for everyone, even if it's not the experience you planned. You have to be able to think on your feet really fast. Do you, do you think you need to be born with something in order to be a, a stand-up comic? Or no. is this something you... You because just, I think if all you do is go up there with confidence, mm -hmm. you're going to do a good job. Like if I if I start doing stand up, if I go up there every single day, in a year from now, audience you think will find me funny? Not only will you get the audience to laugh, and again, we're talking about a club audience, so that's a 15 minute set mm -hmm. on on average, mm -hmm. and uh, and the audience is usually made up of people who don't know you, and they might be from people all over the country or all over the world. Not only will you make them laugh because you'll learn kind of you're not going to go up there if you keep being punished. Mm -hmm. You'll go up there and you'll learn, you'll you'll videotape yourself, you'll learn the skills that you need to learn, you'll study them and it's it's very nuanced how you study them, but you'll study the skills and within a year easily you I I just know from experience you'll just you you could be on a lineup of pros and no one will be able to tell who is the pro and who's not. I think it takes mm -hmm. I mean to do maybe a a series of 60 minute specials on Netflix, you have to be I'm a talking real pro. about like like Godfrey, you know, who's who's I think one of the funniest people on this planet. Like, do you think he's born with something or or not? No. Now when I did talk to him, he said he was always the funniest person in his crowd. But that's true for a lot of things. Like mm -hmm. you could be the best tennis player in your high school, but then when you get up to the college level, you're the weakest. Mm -hmm. So with Godfrey, it was years and years of building a skill. Like if you watch videos of Louis C.K. from 20 years ago and Louis C.K. now, you see he obviously learned something, mm -hmm. you know, a, a, a thousand more nuances than he knew in the beginning. Or another one I really like watching before and after is Anthony Jeselnik. Uh, you know, he used to be a writer on the old Fallon show, and then they had kind of a contest to be stand, do stand-up. He had no timing at all. He had very funny jokes because he was writing 100 jokes a day for Fallon, but his timing was off. Now his act is almost all timing. Like mm -hmm. the, at least sixty percent of his humor comes from his timing, and so that was you know that was a learned thing, not something he was born with. M most comics uh, probably were like the class clown, right? Growing yeah. up, or like they were funny. You know, people could, you know, people can mention they were funny growing up. But can you take someone that is thirty-five years old, who's an accountant, who doesn't think he's funny, and no one's ever said he's funny? Uh, and you throw him on the stage, and he just performs every night. In a year or two years, do you think he could be funny? Absolutely, but it's it's the same thing we always say. It's got to be. It's a good experiment. It, it's got. It, he won't just do it naturally. He won't just become funny naturally. He has to do you know deliberate practice. So mm -hmm. he has to study what he did, either through videotapes or un under thinking back at what he did. Um, he has to study the greats. He has to have kind of mm -hmm. uh, either uh, some sort of mentor, not necessarily a real life mentor, but like a virtual mentor, like study videos or whatever, uh, or study a, a, a course. Or he, 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 he's got to do something to strive for what 1% daily improvement. Mm -hmm. And then absolutely, he'll get better. Like I probably, let's say I go up 
four times in a week. For each one of those times, I will study and prepare for at least three or four hours. And on the nights when I don't do it, I'll probably still do two or three hours mm -hmm. of study of comedy. And now, if you just study an hour, again, if it's very deliberate and you're studying the grades and you're taking, you know, like I'll watch Dave Chappelle and then I, in the privacy of my home, I will act out what he did mm -hmm. because he's doing things with his voice, his body, his I arms. I want to see that video. And, and, hmm? <laughs> I want to see that video. Not at all videotape. Uh, but uh, it would be offensive to basically everybody in the world. Uh, but he, he's he or Louis C.K. like emulate the greats and study them, mm -hmm. and and you'll get better. But but even more importantly, not only will you get better at stand up, which is which is fine. It's great to you know take a year of your life or two years of your life, and now you're funny in front of thirty people. Mm -hmm. But so much more important is all the other life skills that you learn from getting better at at the what I call the micro skills of stand up. So so one is humor, you know, so these are the micro skills of stand up, you know, there's humor, there's likability, there's crowd work, there's understanding the crowd which is different than crowd work. Um, there's using the stage, there's timing, there's um, you know, using the inflection in your voice and understanding what what the different uh, kind of octaves of your voice mean to the audience. There's, I don't know if I mentioned, you know, acting out different voices, not necessarily impressions, but just acting out different voices is, is funny. Um, and, you know, getting pretty good at all of those. So combined, you're pretty good at stand up in a year. But what happens is you're a thousand times better at all these other skills that are important for business and life. Mm -hmm. So whether it's, I mentioned public speaking earlier, TV appearances or radio appearances, uh, writing, you're, you're, you'll be better at. Because you'll understand again the new the nuances of timing occur even in, even when you're writing. Um, you'll be better at negotiating because you'll read the crowd better. You'll be better at selling again, like you mentioned your advantage experience. Mm -hmm. You know, in selling you know telecom minutes. You'll even be better in your relationships because you'll understand when when they're interacting with you. You just understand much better what they are trying to do based on their voice, their body language, what they're saying. You you read people much better, it's, mm -hmm. it, and you know likability is a skill. I would say likability or the reverse of it, which is almost as important. Unlikability, which some comedians use, uh, likability is such an important skill. That's much that's more important than even humor for uh, stand up comedy. And then confidence. I've seen people sometimes I go uh, so I just live across the street. Sometimes I'll walk across and I'll just watch the open mics here at five, mm -hmm. and. Some people actually have funny jokes, but you can hear their voice waver just a tiny bit, or they're looking down, or they're not using their bodies correctly, and nobody will be laughing. It's just not funny because they don't have the confidence. So you learn this weird way to have confidence in a completely artificial environment. Like you have to, there's no reason for a stand up comic to be confident on stage in mm -hmm. front of a room full of strangers, but you learn how to turn it on in such an artificial environment. And that's an incredibly difficult skill. Where is that skill gonna help? It's gonna help anywhere from if you're at a party and you're shy or like I'm shy at a party, but it, it, I can feel, you literally feel this new muscle that you developed mm -hmm. turn on when you're at a party and you just go up and start talking to people. Or if you're on TV or if you're negotiating or if you're selling or in your relationship or even with my family members, like knowing how to interact with them, it's almost like my kids are are 
two constant hecklers. Mm -hmm. And so knowing how to deal with hecklers helps me deal with my kids. What's what's a good technique before you go on stage if you're nervous? What do you what do you do to overcome that nervousness? Do you, uh, do you think about something? You know, I try so many different things, but I think I think knowing first off preparing is important. Like so knowing what your range of jokes are. And I say range because you shouldn't have one I see a lot of comics like have a pad and they're kind of trying to remember right before they go on like every single joke. I don't know if that's the best approach. I think having like kind of a range of jokes for every moment because it's almost like a choose your own adventure. Depending on how the audience reacts on some joke, you might go deeper into that joke or you might just go on to the next mm -hmm. joke and then, you, and then you might call back to the earlier joke. Uh, so knowing you're preparing and knowing your range of jokes, knowing that you're starting off strong, knowing that you're going to end strong, um, is is important for for confidence. Uh, the other thing that kind of helps is knowing this is this is specific to stand up comedy, or maybe not. It's also specific to other things. But as you mentioned before, knowing the comedian who's there before you, and knowing how you interact with the audience after that style of comedian, that's kind of important. But that's very specific. Uh, I think for me, what I do is I always do this before public speaking. But then I've switched. This is where I've switched this over to comedy. Um, I imagine that there's a version of me inside myself that's extremely nervous, and that's all the nervousness combined is this other kind of smaller version of me. And I, this sounds weird, but I, we talked about this on the Barry Michaels podcast because it's a technique that he suggested in his book called The Tools. But I separate out that person from me, mm. and I talk to him, and I say, "Hey, come up with me." onto the stage and you could hang out but don't but leave me alone like you could hang out but don't bother me and then that actually does make me more confident when I'm walking sort of out like there. like a mindfulness yeah. technique right and then also it helps when I go out on the stage uh when I walk out I kind of I make sure I'm standing up straight I make sure uh I'm you know my arms are are spread and I'm feeling it uh, like you have to be sincere about that move and I also repeat inside my head, uh, and this is very helpful. I always this is gonna sound stupid, but I always repeat the party is where I'm at. Mm -hmm. So the audience is simply invited to my party. Mm -hmm. They can either attend or not, but I'm gonna have a fun time. And I heard Brian Regan, who's a well-known comedian, talk at at Google, and he said um, he always he he always pretends not pretends, but he always makes sure he's making himself laugh. And if the audience is not laughing, he doesn't care. Right. He'll picture himself in the audience and he'll still try to make himself laugh. And that's what works for him. So that's another technique, uh, which I which I try to do as well. Because he even pointed out, what's the point of, of you not laughing if the audience is laughing? Like, if you're not having fun, why are you doing it? Mm -hmm. So, but, but very important for me is that saying, I'm where the party's at. Because again, that helps with everything I do. So. Have you ever been... Um intimidated by by an audience member? Yeah, I think the very first time I was heckled, I didn't know what was going I was, on. I was waiting for you to say me when I was in, <laughs> when, when I saw you for the first time. Uh, I, so when you were heckled. No, no, because that was the very first time I went up here. You were there, yeah. uh, Stephen Dubner was there, like a couple people were there yeah. that I knew. And I actually felt good about that first time, even though it seems like a thousand years ago in terms mm -hmm. of generations of experience. But... Um, I did about seven minutes that night, and but the very first time I was heckled, um, I didn't know what was happening. I didn't understand it because 
it's it's hard. This is another. How do you skill. react to that? Hmm? How do you? How would you even for the first I, I didn't, time? The very even, first time, I didn't know what was happening. I thought maybe it was. was I don't know a what I would say if I was on stage and I was getting heckled. What do you do? Do you make fun of that person back? Do you I didn't even them? know I was being heckled. I thought there was just somebody trying to speak mm-hmm. over me. Do you remember what you said to them? I didn't say anything. I you I so didn't even understand them? I was what was happening. Yeah, and I remember um, I got off the stage and I was just stood around and I was very curious and. Uh, I remember Ashley Morris was the MC, and um, she said to the heckler, she said, sir, can I help you? Mm-hmm. And she said, like, do you want another drink? And he was like, that dude was weird. And uh, But I at the time, I didn't even know I was being heckled. I just felt like something uncomfortable was happening. Now, because, again, it's a nuanced skill, mm-hmm. but at the very first 50 times you do it, you don't realize, you can't see the audience. So it's only with practice you can actually see. Now I can see each individual in the audience. Like I know everybody who's in the audience when I go up. And at the beginning, everyone was just like a blur. At, yeah, when those first 30, 40, 50 times, mm-hmm. everyone just kind of blurs together. Mm-hmm. And I'm just trying to rush through my material as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. But now I see the people in the audience. I'm having a conversation with them. I'm talking to them. I'm telling them a story. How do you deal with the heckler now? Now I... Um, I'll say something like Yeah, you you call the manager and just let's let's get this guy out. I'm the owner. <laughs> well, so sometimes I mean I don't really get heckled that much now. I mean it'll be like maybe once in the past six months, but you kind of just address what they're saying and you know, or or it could be like, you know, when when there's groaning, I I, I might say something like, No, 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 don't worry, I'm gonna win you back. Mm-hmm. And then people laugh at that because there's ten there's mm-hmm. tension builds in the audience when there's a heckler, so you want to make everybody comfortable again, and and you act like you, like you're almost like you don't put them down. You you if they seem reasonable, you are more obsequious. Like oh, like oh no no I get it I understand what you're saying. I'm, don't worry, bear with me. It, yeah, I'm gonna win you back, or or it's gonna get a lot mm-hmm. darker than this. Mm-hmm. So so just you have to like this, but I'll, but later on you could hate me. What what do the greats do like with the heckler? You know if if Chris Rock was downstairs tonight and there was a heckler, what do you think he would do? Well, I've never seen Chris Rock heckled, but I've seen Godfrey heckled, mm-hmm. and he has screamed. Yeah, at the he person. like rips them apart. He is, you know, the what, guys, do you remember what he says? He will just he will spend three minutes cursing at the person and just saying every. I've seen him like flip out. Uh, but what would be? Have you seen a comic? Gerard uh, Carmichael's a great example. Like be be funny. Yeah. So Gerard Carmichael's a great example. Like he'll say um, something like I. Um, do we re- I, I remember this one joke he said in his last special. Um, it was called Eight. It's directed by another one of my favorite comedians, Bo Burnham. Um, he he said some joke like, "Do we really need to care about the environment?" And some person started saying, "Yeah, we do." And he's and he just looks at her like, "Really? Why?" And she's like, "Blah blah." blah. I didn't hear what she said. And 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 he said he did this technique, which I mm-hmm. steal from him. He's like, "Okay, okay." I get. I don't really know. I'm gonna try to win you over. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna try to win you over. And then later on, he told a joke, and he noticed her laughing. And he's like, "See, I got you back." Mm-hmm. And so he was able to always stay a little bit below the audience in that case. Sometimes you want power over the audience. Mm-hmm. He sort of won them over with likability and being like agreeable with them. Right. But I've seen Bo Burnham. He just he'll also just scream at the mm-hmm. audience. Like some people have a zero tolerance mm-hmm. policy. Louis C.K. is like this too. Anything, even if they say, I love you, Bo, or I love you, Louie, 
they'll scream like, shut up, just so fast and so hard that everyone shuts up. You ever, you ever see a comic like bring bring up that heckler on stage? Uh, Amy Schumer. That would be a good technique. Oh, yeah? I mean, Amy Schumer did when she, during the election, she said something against Trump. She was in Florida, which was a, mm-hmm. you know, a battleground state. Someone booed her and she said, hey, that's okay. We're all allowed to have our opinion. She brought up that guy onto the stage mm-hmm. and she said, I just, this is not, I'm not going to try to harm you here or insult you. I just, I want to ask you some questions. Why you like Trump? He answered her question. She said, okay, that's good. Go, go back and sit down now. Mm-hmm. And that was, and that was it. You know, other people I've seen, uh, Dante's great. I've seen, uh, and Dante's also been on this podcast. Dante, I saw, he had a heckler, not a heckler, but someone who was talking a lot. And and she was heckling a little bit. And he suddenly yells, okay, enough with the TED talk. Like, the, your TED talk is over. And then he goes <laughs> right, on right, and that right, right. set the person up. So, uh, I, I would see- probably, if, if, I, if I did stand up uh, and I dealt with a heckler, I would, I would probably say something like, that guy's still upset that like Trump was elected. You know, bring up like some random like news, like why he's so upset. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 one time I was saying something about Trump and a Trump guy. I wasn't even something saying saying something positive or negative, but it was assumed to be negative. And this guy in the front row stuck his middle finger up at me, and I said, "Okay, this guy doesn't like Trump, but this joke is for everyone mm-hmm, else." Mm-hmm. And then that was fun. I just right, circumvented right, right. him. Um, the only time I feel like I really lost to a heckler was it was during my blue material phase still, and uh, a guy in the front row was just shaking his head. And if he's in the front row, and if the lights are kind of midway on so everyone can see him, mm-hmm. nobody behind him is going to laugh. So it was just ruining the whole thing. And I was like, "What? What is your? Are you clearly having a problem? What is your problem?" Mm-hmm. And he's like, "You can't say that." And I, and I said, we're at a comedy club. I can say whatever I want. And he's like, no, no, you can't say that. <laughs> and I just didn't, I was flustered. It was it was still in the beginning and I didn't know what to do. Now I know what to do a little bit more. Ask him, like, what what can I say? Like, do you have like a list of things I could say? That would be funny. I should have said that. Which I run through my, my material <laughs> beforehand. That's and good. you'll tell me what I can and can't say. Or we just send out a survey to the audience before... Yeah, that would be good. Of like a list of approved things you can say. Is that what you've seen people do? No, but look, I've seen I Gino Bisconti say some really insane stuff on stage. Insane mm-hmm. in a good way, but he could be very. If you don't take it the right way, you could be really offended. Mm-hmm. And so somebody didn't like him and was heckling a little bit, and he was trying to argue with the person in a funny way because he's always very funny. Uh, and then finally, the other person was a little flustered or made a historical mistake, mm-hmm. and he was able to say, "Why am I even arguing with you? You're so stupid. You didn't even know X, Y, and Z." And then after that, he ignored the person mm-hmm. for the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. So there's all there's all sorts of techniques, but you know that's an important technique to to learn. And there are videos on YouTube for handling hecklers, uh, like just you know you see heck, you know Louis C.K. being heckled, mm-hmm. Dave Chappelle being heckled, uh, Chris, I guess. Chris Rock was in there. I didn't watch the whole video, but uh, all the greats being heckled. Can you can you teach someone to have a sense of humor? I think you can, because you could take. How do you, how do you do that? Well, and I've talked to a lot of comedians about this, like, uh, you know, and maybe I'd curious about your answer after you've probably listened live to more stand-up comedians than just about anybody. But I think from the comedians I've interviewed here. A lot of comedians will look at their lives and they'll say, 
some comedians will say, what makes me angry? And they'll think of a joke around that. So mm -hmm. like, like, um, you know, you know, Trump ans answering a congratulations call from the president of Taiwan, um, might make someone angry mm -hmm. because the, the one China, you know, I don't know. And, uh, uh, they'll make a joke out of that. Another person might, what makes, what makes you annoyed? So someone, so Louis C.K. has a joke, someone who crosses three lanes in mm -hmm. order to make a left turn because he has to get it exactly right his way because we're so used to that. So Louis C.K. takes things that are annoying to him mm -hmm. and makes a joke out of it. Uh, Seinfeld is more like what makes, what, what, what do you observe that's weird in society? So he'll always take weird things or, or everything he looks at, he'll try to find the weird thing in it and he'll make a joke out mm -hmm. of that. And... I think also, you know, if you have like a funny story, like, uh, or or just something that annoys you about polite behavior in society. What what, I, what I'm saying is, can you can you teach someone that's not a stand up comic how to have a sense of humor? Yeah, I absolutely. So I, so I think if you use like one of these, like people that get offended, you know, or just people that aren't people that don't laugh at jokes, people that are not funny. How do you? How would you teach them? Let me ask you, to, how would you how would you teach them? I don't know. Uh, I mean, you just put out a course with your best the best comics of standard. There, there should be there should be I'm not talking about from like a being on stage standpoint. You know, there's a lot of like old cranky men out there, for example, right? Who would just like snap at everyone, right? Like we see them on Broadway all the time. Like I think this is where, you know, they congregate most like on Broadway between like yeah. 72nd and 93. There's a lot of like old people walking around, like old ladies, old men, yeah. uh, Upper West Siders, and they just like bitch about everything. You know? I think I think if they watch a lot of stand-up comedy, they'll so get how better. do they? You know, you know this type of yeah. people. Like we have neighbors that complain that there's like a line outside. You know, like I, sorry, like would you rather like empty storefronts? <laughs> you know, on I, Broadway. I think, I think if they watch a lot of stand-up comedy, you'll just naturally get funnier. Like I never understood that. Like there's so many like angry people walking around who just complain and like they have no sense of humor. How do you teach that group how to chill and have a sense of humor? All right. Now, how to chill? I we don't need know. to make an online course about that. First of all, hmm? we need we need to develop an online course about that. Well, but I'll, I'll tell you now, this is advice you can't give a stand-up comedian or an aspiring stand-up comedian. But this is an advice you can give someone who just wants a better sense of humor. Watch a hundred hours of like twenty, say, different stand-up comedians, and then just steal their material. <laughs> no, but you think they'll come out of it. With a better sense of humor. Yeah. How do you teach someone that doesn't have a sense of humor, well, that's well, bitter, well, that's well, angry, how to laugh more? They'll come up with a better sense of humor. To watch stand up. Yeah. If I want, let's say I wanted to teach you how to climb a ladder. Mm -hmm. If I put a ladder here and I climbed up it, mm -hmm. you probably at that point are eighty percent of the way there mm -hmm. towards. Even though you didn't touch the ladder, you probably already know how to climb a ladder. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing. You're, what's these mirror neurons kick in, and your brain starts to get rewired based on what you're watching. So if all you do is watch stand up all day long, I mean, look, so many professional stand up comedians. How did they start their career? When they mm -hmm. were kids, they watched Johnny Carson every night and watched all the comedians, and they repeated the acts of the comedians mm -hmm. over and over and over again, and then suddenly they became very funny. I, I think enrollment in a type of course like that, where you enroll like old bitter people, you know, and teach them how to have a sense of humor, I think they'll be very good for the world. Yeah, and that'd think? be a funny video to watch them all do like stand up after like. Yeah, but I think it'll make the in. world like so much better place. You yeah. don't have like old bitter people walking around like complaining. Well, it's <laughs> like it's like um, you know, it's like when Seth Rogen made a test. 
he he testified in front of Congress about ALS, which uh, no no about Alzheimer's, um, which uh, uh, I guess his wife's parents or whatever or, or mother mother in law I don't know somebody related to him had Alzheimer's, so he. I saw. I watched the testi- testimony. It was like him doing a stand-up act in front of Congress, mm-hmm. and all the senators were laughing. They I mean, were. Yeah, he was saying stuff like, "You know, I'm glad to be here. I'm a huge fan of House of Cards," mm-hmm. and so just like stuff like that, over and over, was making them laugh. But that would that wouldn't be a good gift, though. You know, you can't give like to an older person or someone that doesn't have sense of humor. Here's like, unless they had a tiny bit of sense here's, of humor. Here's a that they gu- yeah, yeah. Here's a gift on how to like have a sense of humor. You know, if somebody just watched like every appearance of Rodney Dangerfield on Shawnee Carson, they would have a better sense of humor because mm-hmm. that guy was perfect for set up punchline, set up punchline. Mm-hmm. And you could just and again, if the goal is not to be professional but just to make your friends laugh, you could just steal Rodney Dangerfield's material mm-hmm. from the '60s and and you'll win, <laughs> or the '70s. I think I think Louis I think Louis C.K. like that kind of dark humor, you know. I, I think they can gain a lot from that. Yeah, because if he talks about climate change mm-hmm. and he has a joke about what if God comes down, like you know, what did you do? Like who shot all over the polar bears? Like what happened here? And and then he imitates the other guy. Well, we needed to dig up oil. What's oil? Uh, well, we got to have a job. We have to go faster. Is this original material, or is this actually Louis? That's Louis C. actually oh, Louis, okay, okay. special. <laughs> so, so if you just watch all the Louis C.K. specials, yeah. you'll, you'll 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 come out the better sense of humor. Because, and you don't even have to steal his material. His topics are so broad; like it's impossible to now to avoid his mm-hmm. topics because he's talked about everything. And then he sees the funny in almost every topic. Do you think he'll make a comeback? Uh, I do, but do you think he will? Um. Yes. How do you think it'll look? How do I think it'll look? Like how will he? And what? Uh, you're like who will like where where will he appear? Yeah. Like, will HBO give him a special or Netflix? Um. I think I think in the beginning it'll it'll just be him releasing something like through his website. Yeah, like he'll do stuff in clubs. A, yeah, because he doesn't have to worry about getting like a, right. a sponsor. You know, right. like he's not going to do a. Netflix special right now or an HBO special, but if he releases like an album, I would I might buy it, you know, just through his website where like American Express doesn't have to sponsor it. Right. I think I mean that would probably be the best route. Now, to go in. Uh, do you do you enjoy? I mean, you and I have co-owned this club for the past year, but do you enjoy? You're now in your tenth year of owning a stand-up club. Do you enjoy it? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 really, it's like, did you go to camp, like growing yeah. up? Yeah. So, I mean, when I have that mindset, like, I'm going to camp. Like, like who goes to a job like this? Like, who on the planet goes to a job at a comedy club and they can be surrounded by like the funniest people in the world? And it's like always entertaining. When I have that mindset of just being appreciative, then it's like the best. Yeah, you know, like I, I was talking to a friend yesterday in the park, and she's like, "We just came out of a three-day Jewish holiday." She's like, "Oh, I got to go back to work." What holiday? I don't even know what holiday. It's called Shavuot. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did so, you know about this, Steve? Yes. Shavuot. How come I don't know I about this? I'm in the club. I don't know about three, these holidays. Three, three-day holiday. Um, yes. It was Friday night, Saturday. Started Friday night, ended last night. Um, and I was talking to my friend in the park, and she's like, "Oh, I got to go. I got to go to work tomorrow. It's so annoying." Uh, she's an architect. 
And I'm like, I haven't had that feeling. When I when I used to be involved in telecom, I had that feeling. You know, I used to work on that business in the morning from yeah. like eight a.m. to like two, and then at two o'clock when they ended, it's like, all right, I got to go to go to camp now. You know, and I worked, I would work on the club from like two to eight p.m. But now I'm strictly working on the club, and like I haven't had that feeling, you know, since I just started working on the club. Where like oh, I got to go to work. It's like amazing. I feel very fortunate. You know, I, I I'll. So when I first bought into the club, oh, and one more. Sorry to cut you off. One more thing. Besides, like the atmosphere and being around comics, like when when I feel like the club is on the right track and there's like a, a marketable like product, and you, you're excited about it, and you're excited to bring that to people, that's like the best feeling. You know, it's like when you're sort of like unsure, and like I think every business owner is like this when you're unsure about like your business model. Or you know you have to worry about bills like that's not you know that's not fun but like when you're confident about what you're selling that's the best and I think I think what we've done in the past year so since I've been involved in the past year it's like people came up to me and said why did you is this just a passion investment like why did you do this it's not like uh, it's not like one of those Silicon Valley kind of investments where mm-hmm. there's a thousand x return from Investing in a comedy club is basically a bar with a mm-hmm. stage and a lot of drunk people laughing at a comic at n- every night. But um, I think what we were able to do this past year and what I, why I wanted to get involved was kind of show how the model could be expanded. So we had the we that's a, a comedy club is not just a bar and a stage. Now we've put a lot of emphasis on you know the you know. Spinning off an, an ad agency, so you use mm-hmm. the, the the skittish media uses the comedy talent to make viral videos, and then you have stand up New York Productions, which we've used we've used the stage to film productions that mm-hmm. hopefully will sell. We've used the stage to create a stand up New York education, mm-hmm. um, to, which is a course on how to create your your first five minutes of stand up. What's I'll let you shout out the URL to to that. StandUpNY.com StandUpNY.com slash what? The Tight Five. So StandUpNY.com StandUpNY.com forward slash The Tight Five. Yeah, so... so You can see see, uh, a trailer. Who are the the comedians? Brian Scott McFadden, Gina Brion, Modi, Tom Kelly, Godfrey, uh, Marion Grodin, and did I say Tom Kelly? Okay. Um, Aaron Berg. Aaron Berg. Yep. Yeah. Seven comics. And Marion's uh, about to shoot her own special, I think. I mean, there were these seven comics were like awesome to work with, and they they basically like emptied their brain. Godfrey's one of the best day. in the world. Aaron's the best yeah. insult comic I've ever seen. I mean, feedback. I'm like, I'm shocked by the by the feedback I've been getting. Modi's one of the best clean comics I've seen. Modi's a clean comic. We wanted to get like the Jewish uh, demographics, yeah. so we threw, we threw in Modi, we threw in the token Jew, uh, <laughs> and uh, so I feel like we we really kind of uh, took a spoken wheels approach with the comedy club at the center. Yeah, I mean we're, they're, they're using comedians uh, and comedy's hot right now just to create different verticals. Um, you know whether it's using comics to produce funny and shareable. Content for brands, you know, and ad agencies. Uh, you know, that's what we do under Skittish, and then education. I mean, who's more in a position, you know, than us? You know, we've been around since 1986. We've seen Robin Williams, Harry Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, 
recently, you know, Amy Schumer, she was here two weeks ago practicing her SNL monologue. So educating the new generation of comics uh, using this platform, you know, I'm sort of surprised like we haven't done that the past 10 years we've been here. And, you know, we just launched that, but there's a lot more to come just educating people uh, that want to get into stand-up, that want to get into comedy writing, podcasting. We're really teaching what we know. I forgot also we have uh, you have Stand-Up New York Podcast yep. Labs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've launched Stand-Up New York Podcast we've had for five and a half years. We've launched Tuesdays with Stories, Race Wars, uh, Guys We Fuck. I can say that, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, in the conversation with Damien Lemon, J-Train. So again, you know, teaching what we know. Yeah, that's great. So, so it's really exciting. So look, I've been happy to be involved in the club and uh, it's been such a great thing. Just learning how to do that tight five or tight 15 or mm -hmm. whatever has been such a great and powerful experience for me in so many other areas of my life. Like now I'm trying to decide how much Stand up, I really want to do per per week. Like I've I've I sort of feel like at a good a good area to maintain, but the benefits to every other area of my life have been uh, just just uh, enormous. So thanks for that very first time. I think I was doing a podcast here with Recode, mm -hmm. and you were watching, and then you said, "Hey, you should you should go on and uh, downstairs." And then like a like you said, a month later, I I finally did oh, yeah? it. Okay, yep. So and you're still doing it, and you yeah, love it, right? Still doing it, still love it, and so I'm um. What day is today? Tuesday. I'm doing it Thursday. Okay. So, but I've been I've been slowing it down just a bit in the past mm -hmm. week because I'm um got my kids this summer. I got all sorts of stuff going on. Mm -hmm. But uh, Donnie Zolden, head of owner of Stand Up New York and Stand Up New York Education. Uh, again, what's the what's the URL you want to preach? Standupny.com forward slash the tight five. And also, um, if people if people want to see. Uh, either Donnie or me. We should uh, like I'm usually here on Tuesdays or Thursdays. I think in the summer I'm gonna try to be here usually on on Wednesdays. Uh, You'll but... be behind the bar. Come <laughs> say hello. Yeah, yeah. Right. I'll, uh, well, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I don't know anything about how to pour a drink, but I will be on the stage. Uh, hopefully on on Wednesdays. By the way, I never force myself to go on stage. I always Candy's the booker. I always say if I'm bad, don't put me up. Right. <laughs> so I hope she she. Pays attention to that because the audience comes first. So, um, thanks for. Uh, I just had, thanks I just for had one on. question. Yes, you seem to be very concerned about making people who were not funny that people do not think are funny. Like yeah. nobody has ever told them they're funny. Funny. Yeah. Why? What? What? Explain. You that? seem like because you had a lot. Yeah. You were preoccupied with if you see somebody who's not funny, yeah, how do you make them funny. Oh, um, like non-comics. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just. I'm just. I'm always fascinated by people that just don't have a sense of humor. Like I don't get it. People, you know, life is so short. People are walk around like so pissed off. Like, like I think they have it, to want to be funny though, and they have to have some humility. No, to but it. there's. I feel like there's something missing in their life. You know, where like like why like just be positive. You know, laugh at things. Um, but but so you there ask, should how be can more. You make them and yeah, how do you how do you the first thing how do you help them develop a sense of humor? You know, I think I really think that this world would be a much better place if like you had these people and there's so many of them just walking around so pissed off, you know, like but, but they have to want to and that means they have to have a little humility that they need it in their lives. So how do you how do you tap into that market of 
you know, just pissed off people. So you're not really in the market of people who want to be. It's like funny. an intervention. You, you know, know, you have to be in the market of people who don't know that they're not funny or don't want to be. Let me give you an example, and I might get yelled at by my wife uh, later. But her grandfather, he passed away, so we could talk about him. This guy was like the worst. Like so, oh, this is, I have two great stories, and like I probably get yelled at by her parents also. <laughs> I might get divorced after this podcast, but. Um, you know, the first time I met her grandfather, uh, this was probably 12 or 13 years ago, it was at a barbecue at my wife's family backyard in Great Neck, Long Island, and it was a Sunday. And I, I met them, they weren't very nice, and then when I walked away, I heard her grandfather like tell my wife's family, like, he's going. I was going on the Long Island Railroad back to the city after the barbecue, he's like, what kind of guy wears jeans into the city? Like when he was <laughs> when he was growing up, like going into the city, so, so not like even, you get dressed up. He's like he wears jeans in the city. So not even an insult. He's like it's like kind of like this really weird, unfunny, non-insult insult. I don't know. Like it was just like a comment from like a different era. Like he pointed out that I wear I'm wearing jeans to the city and I shouldn't be doing that on like a Sunday afternoon. And then our wedding, last story, our wedding was the best. Like. He showed up to the wedding. It was almost like a full-on like cast. You know, he was probably like ninety, and he was walking down our aisle. He had a neck brace. He had, I think, he had a cast on his arm, and and he got a a blessing, a bracha, we call it, right? He got a blessing um, under the chuppah. You know what a chuppah is, right? Yeah. And he was a little slow to get up, you know, because he was in this like body cast, <laughs> and there. And my brother was the one like officiating. You know, he was bringing up the people to get the blessing. And he was taking a while. He's like, oh, come, you know, move faster. As he was walking by the mic, he's like, well, if you'll get the fuck out of my way, I can get up there faster. <laughs> the whole, you heard a gasp from like the whole, uh, oh, from brilliant. the whole audience. So someone like that, I think, could benefit from, you know, a course on. But they won't take a course. So what could be the, the breakthrough? Okay. How do you convince just, an 80 year old? If they just sit and listen man, to like, Five hours of Louis C.K. They'll be better. You think so? Yeah. And the last question is, do you think my wife will yell at me for uh, repeating the story? No, I think she'll think it's endearing and you've just First made of all, her... she probably won't listen. She, <laughs> she, 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 you just made your grandfather podcast famous. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. it's, it's good. He'll be remembered forever. Right, exactly. And other grandfathers will try this at weddings. Yep. But I think if anything that'll come out of this is we need to develop some program for people... That's where you see that don't have a sense of humor. Yeah, we should test it. We should, we should go to the nursing home. There's one on West End a few blocks away. Oh, wow. We should wheel in like all the old people. And Ashley actually, you know, she does. Yeah, comedy. she helps out there. So we should we should see if we can change their mindset how to be uh well, you know, more I positive people. When I was with James, like even if they're bad jokes, at least you're trying, right? Like even if they're what are you saying? Jokes. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I was making some bad jokes or corny jokes, and yeah. I appreciate people even trying if they're not too mean spirited. Oh, you, yeah, you appreciate like, like the the honesty if someone no, says. No, I just appreciate somebody trying to be funny, trying to look yeah. at the positive side of a situation. Okay, so know? how about this? You got insulted a few weeks ago when someone compared you to the other Steve Cohn. 
Oh. You didn't take that so well. How about that? <laughs> um, I felt I felt like that person was acting like I'm an abject failure because I'm not this billionaire, and he was like disappointed, like he wanted money back the way he said it, and he wasn't. Who was that? I don't really remember who that was. One of your friends. <laughs> who was? It? Wait, oh yeah, 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 I remember. I remember. But wait, there's the other yeah. Steve Cohen too, which yes. is the magician. Yeah, okay. exactly. have you ever seen him? There's a no, lot of us. No. Yeah. I've been to his show at the Palace Hotel every weekend. It's the yeah. is the other Steve Cohen. Wait, so yeah. you were you were really offended that when he found out you weren't that Steve Cohen, you considered yourself a failure? Um, no, I didn't consider myself a failure. I felt that person looked like, disappointed. Yeah, like said it in a way it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And you know, and I don't yeah, know. that guy. No, that guy went to high school. That guy he has a very unique sense of humor. A couple of beers short of a six pack. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I know he. He likes. Uh, I know him really yes. well. He likes creating that yes. awkward tension. Yeah, you know. Okay. And he's very honest. He's your friend. <laughs> Wait, who is this? Right up. Uh, no, no. His name is Elon Kells. He'll be very happy that he got a yes. shout out here. Friends like that. Who needs enemas? <laughs> but I like I like hanging out with him just because he makes people feel. Okay. Uh, he just says things yes. you know that most people wouldn't say. <laughs> That's got to be your quote of the day. <laughs> with, friends like, with friends like that, who needs enemas? Yeah, I try. <laughs> All right, thanks, Donnie. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Mm.